Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you on this Wednesday evening, this last day of February 2018, as we head into the Ides of March tomorrow. Uh, I'm sitting here and just reflecting that uh, it was about maybe 36 years ago I sat in this hall for the first time listening to a Dharma talk. Um, And I feel such gratitude, really, for uh, these teachings and for all the teachers that have committed their their lives to offering the Dharma and to all the yogis who continue to come here and practice like yourselves. Uh, it's, it's a great joy and an extraordinary gift that <clears throat> I feel very personally privileged to have received in, in this life. And very grateful for all of my teachers. So uh, in terms of offering a Dharma talk, does it say a little bit of what, what goes into it? Uh, reflecting on what, it's, it's rather simple actually. It's like reflecting on what, what one thinks might be useful, what one thinks might be useful for, for you and your practice. There's such a vast array of teachings from the Buddha. So in a Dharma talk, sometimes it's just a little bit, uh, that uh, a little taste of the Buddha's teachings. And, and there's a way to offer a talk, and there's also, uh, there's also some guidelines in listening. So if any of you are, are like me, I, I really am very trained to take notes, and I don't see anybody with notebook, and I think that's, that's really great, actually. Because it's, it's different listening to a talk. The invitation is really to, to continue with your practice. Settle into your posture. Uh, stay connected with your body. And let your mind and heart just receive. Uh, and just see how it, see how it lands. <clears throat> so if there's something that feels confusing or off-putting, perhaps you could just let that let that to this be to go to the side and just just receive what feels supportive to you in your practice so hopefully that will be helpful guideline oops is this too is it too loud no okay my breath is like the wind So the, the topic tonight, essentially, is what is mindfulness? Uh, and we'll, we'll explore uh, this, this question in, in various ways. Uh, first of all, mindfulness, as I'm sure everyone in this room knows, it's become a very commonplace word. And sometimes with commonplace words, they lose their meaning. Um, it, it can be associated with uh, all kinds of practices, mindfulness, mindfulness-based therapy, uh, mindful, mindfulness in sports, <clears throat> mindfulness in business, medicine, mindfulness in the military. There's so many secular applications of mindfulness that uh, some have been very helpful, uh, helpful in uh, helping calm the mind, collect the mind, 
uh, clear the attention to the present moment. Uh, it can be very useful in how we function. Uh, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Is that what the Buddha primarily talked about? Well, in terms of uh, the Buddha's teachings, mindfulness is in many, many of the Theravadan lists. It's in the five spiritual faculties. It's in the seven factors of enlightenment. The Buddha talked in, in depth in the four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of mind itself, mindfulness of states of mind. So it's, it's used many, many times in the... In the, in the um, is, that, is the sound off? How's that? You're still I have to breathe. <laughs> farther away farther here? Away. How's that? Okay. okay. Can you hear? Great. Sorry. So, <clears throat> the other thing about the Buddha is he also had many pithy teachings. And, you know, one of the, the pithy ones is I teach, many of us have heard this phrase, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering in the end of suffering. So when I think of that, I think of like sitting through one's first day of mindfulness practice here on retreat. And, you know, the only one that you're talking to really is yourself, yeah? And maybe you don't necessarily love the conversation that you're having, but it continues regardless. And uh, you can't seem to get away from the the incessant commentary on everything. This is this is kind of what our mind does. Uh, or, or maybe there are even thoughts of I just can't wait to get to bed. You know, I can't wait to put my head on the pillow. Or maybe you're you're feeling incredibly sleepy, uh, or even worried you might end up. You're so sleepy you might end up snoring in the room full of ninety people. Uh, you know, or maybe you can't even hear the instructions because because your mind is you find your mind is so busy. It's it's going from one thing to another. It's like has five different channels, and it's so hard to even keep up with it. Or maybe you're like planning your marriage to the person two rows in front of you. You know that you're gonna. This is the person you're gonna have live your life with, and before you know it, you're in a great fantasy about how how wonderful that would be, and the places you go, the things you'll do, the children you'll raise, the dogs you'll raise, or you know, or maybe you're you're you know you're 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 finding yourself drawn to more than one person. Well, maybe this could be a polyamorous situation. You never know, you know. Um, or maybe you're sort of like, well, you know, forget relationships. They're too much trouble. There's so much suffering in relationship. It's hard enough to relate to myself. Um, and it, of course, there are impediments to one's path of awakening. Um, I say that uh, facetiously. Or maybe you're just, you know, you find your mind going into some fantasy of, I'm just going to go for the full Monty. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to, forget IMS. I'm, I'm going to a monastery in Asia. And I'm going to shave my head, I'm going to take robes, or better yet, I'm going to go live in a cave, maybe eat one meal a day, buckle down, drop in, you know, meet with the perfect master, do it for about a year, reach enlightenment, come back to the States, maybe I can figure out how to live in the States here after that. You know, who knows? Your mind, you know, maybe you're not in elaborate fantasies, but you probably get my point. You know, the mind, it, 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 it is, it's endless, 
It has endless stories, endless commentaries. It loves to evaluate. It loves to evaluate what's happening. And it's, it's interesting how we relate to that evaluation. You know, so oftentimes what can happen is we get caught in it. We get caught in believing the evaluation. This is really good. This is really not so good. I should do this. I should do that. You know, and, and our minds really suffer with that. I mean, it, and, and the actual invitation is so radical. It's, it's really hard sometimes. It's really hard to, well, how, you know, how do you be with, with just how it is? How, how is that, you know, the mind doesn't really settle down very easily. Or it goes to sleep. And <clears throat> that's not to worry about that. It's very, very common, very common in the early part of a retreat, sometimes for several days, that there's a, a lot of sleepiness. Or you might experience kind of what, what's the opposite of that, which could be a, a restlessness. And sometimes people experience that really in through the body, just a restlessness and uh, hard to sit still or really aware of the discomfort. Some of the questions came up today about discomfort in the body, aches and pains, and um, hard to settle down. Or as I said, it could be restlessness in the mind where it, you can't even keep up with your mind. It's, it's so busy. And sometimes I like to think of that as kind of off-gassing, you know, on a retreat. Like, it just, just needs to settle out, settle down. And, and sometimes we're impatient, you know, or we misread this kind of settling. We misread it. We think there's something wrong with our practice or something we should do differently. You know, sometimes the energy is low and we do need to take a little more rest. Do you need to kind of ease into the retreat? You know, or maybe we find the irrit- you know, the irritability increasing. So like, you know, you're just finding yourself not even liking how the sound of the, the breath of the person next to you, somehow the way they're breathing or they're moving or coughing, you know, and it can feel so um, dis- disorienting, really. And you know, oftentimes what can happen with that, we, our mind makes a little commentary, like, well, you're not very compassionate. You know, you're, you're not very uh, open-hearted here. Or we can make these commentaries about ourselves. You know, if I just do this a little bit more, if I just do that a little bit more, then I will feel good. You know, then I will get to that bliss, that peace, that calm, that enlightenment. You know, or maybe you experienced, you're experiencing doubt. Um, as Jazz was mentioning that, like, I don't, you know, maybe this isn't the right place for me. In some ways, that can be one of the most painful, uh, I find, doubt. Because oftentimes we don't know when doubt is happening. And we're just in it. And, you know, sometimes you can look around and you think, God, everybody gets it but me. You know, or I, I'm, I just really don't, I, I don't fit here. I don't get it. It's not working for me. Um, maybe I should go on a different kind of retreat or, you know, maybe, maybe these teachers aren't that great. You know, well, I've heard it all before. Why aren't they more creative with what they're saying? I don't know what their problem is. You know, it's, uh, our, our doubting mind can, can really take us for, for a ride. And sometimes, you know, just noticing, wow, here's, here's doubt. This is doubt. It doesn't mean that then there's something wrong with doubt. And sometimes a healthy doubt you know, can be very, can be very useful. But a lot of times it, it runs us kind of unconsciously and we feel lost, we feel confused and separate. 
oftentimes with doubt we feel very separate from, from life or from other people. Hmm. So hardly this is peace, is it? <laughs> so often the first day of the retreat is not, <laughs> hey, wait, wait a minute, I came here for, you know, uh, peace, contentment, you know, kind of a stream of mindful awareness. It's not like that, is it? I don't know, anyone feeling that this, this day? Really? It's not usually that way. So welcome to the conditioned nature of mind. You know, we want it so often to be other than how it is. It sounds so cliched, but when you really investigate in your own mind, it's like that. It's like that. We want it to be other. And usually what we want it to be is something that feels good. Deeply conditioned that way. The Buddha talked about this. So when he said, I teach one thing and one thing only, what did he mean? How, how can mindful, just simply being mindful, lead to that? I'm not sure by itself, just simply being mindful, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, actually does lead to liberation. The Buddha talked about that as one aspect of mindfulness, called bare attention, just paying attention to what is. So we pay attention to body sensations, we pay attention to thoughts, we pay attention in some ways to the, sometimes the type of thought, whether it's aversive uh, or wanting. We, we notice sound, we notice the comings and goings. Sometimes it can feel a little robotic, like, okay, where is this leading? So the Buddha also talked about clear comprehension as another aspect of mindfulness, clear comprehension. Understanding the causes of suffering, what keeps our minds and hearts imprisoned in suffering. Understanding that is a necessary foundation in how we understand what is happening in our practice. How do we relate to that? How do we align ourselves or or direct our attention with wisdom and compassion? So, you know, one, one uh, example came to me is uh, just, you know, I have a, a niece with very young children, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and just, you know, watching her with them. And, you know, when a young child gets sleepy and kind of grumpy and teary, in some ways the child doesn't really know that it needs to sleep. But, you know, the mom, the mom or the parent or the guardian knows, you know, just like it's time for the, it's time for this being to rest, to kind of recalibrate. You know, and sometimes our, our little minds don't know. We don't know how to get out of suffering. We're just caught in the loop, you know, and, and, you know, the Buddha said, you know, we can draw on this wise understanding, this wise view to really help no, not only just see what's happening in our practice, but in some ways, dare I say, in some ways direct it, direct it a bit. So, so this wise view is understanding, and many, many of you are familiar with this, it's helpful to hear it again. This wise view is understanding that what, what the Buddha called the three roots of suffering, sometimes also calls the three poisons, otherwise known as greed, hatred, and delusion you know, or aversion, wanting, 
ignorance. And what the Buddha said is that with, with these roots unseen, we act from them. We think from them, we act from them, we speak from them, and suffering follows. Just like the wheel follows the cart. And he said, when, when, we, when we think from, when we act from places of uh, understanding of generosity, uh, compassion, loving kindness, renunciation even, um, we, you know, happiness follows. We don't often think about as renunciation as, as happiness. So he really, he really asks us to take a look at, when we look at our minds, it's not just noting this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. It's how are we relating to what's happening? So you, you may, it's a golden opportunity really being on retreat to look at the mind. Why is that? Because we're, we're not distracted. So does that mean distraction is bad? There's something wrong with our, you know, our full lives? It doesn't mean that. It just means that we have this kind of petri dish, if you will, to, you know, this microscope to, to really look at, I have so much support really to look at it with the teachings, with the uh, sittings, you know, with staff holding the space, so we, our food is here for us. I mean, this is really, so much goes into just being, having this opportunity to just look at the mind, you know, and oftentimes we don't, we don't love what we see, you know, we see, uh, I like to use the metaphor, we see the, the hamster on the wheel. Yes, I see that in my mind, you know. Like sometimes even strategizing how to get, you know, how to get the best sit, you know, or commenting, commenting, you know, on, well, that wasn't such a great sit, or my mind was really busy, or, you know, all the while in there is not really seeing that the, the turning away from the wanting something other, and perhaps even believing that it should be otherwise. That's the big trap. Because we can pay attention to not liking, but underneath it often is it shouldn't be this way. It really shouldn't be this way. And that's the great delusion, really. So we come to spiritual practice, we're like, we're going to get, someone mentioned bliss, you know, nothing wrong with bliss, feels good. Um, But, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to just do the right things and we're going to get there. And somehow it's going to be a permanent state. Good luck. I remember once sitting on a, on a retreat. I think it was like 30 years ago. It was a women's retreat. And I just remember exactly where I was. I was kind of right over there. And we were in a circle. And I had this sitting. If something happened, I can't tell you what it was. But all of a sudden, this just wave of incredible, just incredible peace. It just like went right up my body from my feet, you know, all the way up, you know, through top of my head, you know, sitting there. I was like, wow, wow, this is great. You know, just kind of hanging out there for a little bit. I don't know how long, long it lasted. Could have been 10 minutes, could have been 20 minutes. I spent years trying to get back to that state. <laughs> hope, hope this talk saves you from that. But, you know, I did. I did. I, I so believed that that was the goal and uh just with all the conditions of mind you know just just i mean i know many of us share this but certainly in my own 
you know, family conditioning. It's just like if you just work harder, you know, if you just try a little harder, you, you can get it. So that's what I did. I, I diligently, you know, with every retreat, like what, what are the conditions? What are the right conditions that can bring that about? And as you can imagine, there was a tremendous amount of suffering in that. And there was part of me that just wasn't willing to let go, quite honestly, of that good feeling. I mean, I see it now. At the time, it was no. I, I, had, I had some idea that somehow that was, that was awakening. You know? and, and, of course, the beauty of this practice and the beauty of the, the teachings and the generosity of teachers, you know, my teachers supported me through, uh, you know, eventually just seeing differently, just seeing how much suffering there was in clinging to that. And that was pleasant. That was nice. Lovely feeling. No. Sometimes I think about um, a lot. I think about with this, with it's like the sense of self, and kind of. Hopefully, you'll understand what I mean. The kind of arrogance. And it happens with a sense of self that somehow life should be other than how it is. Now, I'm not talking about um, politics or because, uh, you know, there's understandably there are plenty of things we would want to be different than how they are. But really in that moment to moment direct experience that it shouldn't be like this. And that's when you really think about it, that's like the definition of insanity, isn't it? Like, how can it not be like it is? Because it is. And yet, we can put so much effort into trying to get it to be different. And, and believe that that's what leads to happiness. If I just get it right, always moved by uh, stories of uh, Tibetans who uh, were incarcerated uh, by the Chinese and, and tortured, Tibetan um, monastics, monks. I remember hearing this story once uh, when somebody was asked, you know, don't, don't you, essentially don't you hate the, your oppressors? And the monk, and this was a person who was, you know, physically, horribly, tortured for, for years and was horrified, horrified by the question and said in response, like, that would be such deep suffering. So there was this understanding, really, that uh, the understanding of the pain of that kind of violence in the person who's perpetuating it. It's not that the person was self-negating the monk, but really had that profound blend of wisdom and compassion, just seeing, seeing all of the suffering, including what it would be to be caught in hatred.
So we can experience that hatred in, in small ways, you know, as I was saying, just not, not necessarily liking maybe the food, you know, or maybe not liking uh, you know, the movement of your neighbors or the weather or your clothes or your body or, you know, it could be endless. I mean, there's endless books on how can we self-improve, how can we get better. Really assuming that that is what's going to bring about some kind of permanent well-being. And how can that be possible, really? You know, we, we, when we work with these three roots, these three roots, greed, hatred, and delusion, we mistakenly relate to them in, in three misguided ways. I've been talking about one of them. And, and one is that when we're caught, when we're caught in that wanting mind, you know, wanting, wanting the more of the cornbread. So we were talking today about, um, Chaz was saying like, it's the perfect cornbread and he lives here, you know, 250 days a year. So, you know, it's truly the perfect cornbread. You know, I was just like, oh, how can we get a little bit more? You know, you know, and yes, we could laugh about it, you know, because there's that seeing like that wanting mind, you know, and it's, and it's totally fine to enjoy all of it, the taste of it, the, you know, I think of the cooks that put the time into it to make this food. You know, there's, there's a lot of joy also in enjoying life and enjoying the, the gifts of life. Good friends, weather, a good mood, you know, successes in our lives. But what we mistakenly relate to in these in these joys is is that um, if if they're not happening, that somehow it it's a moral failure, or somehow it's it's an it's an emblematic of a self that needs to be perfected, you know, or maybe even just it's really down to like if I could just get two breaths in a row, sitting on the cushion, then I'll be okay. You know, you get kind of desperate. You know, it's like. That's what's going to make me be a good person, you know, or a good yogi, or I'm doing it right. You know, this, this idea of self is so deeply, deeply conditioned. So, you know, can we, can we just can we see it? Can we notice it? Can we notice that, oh, um, when this is happening in the mind, it's, we think it's my mind. You know, it's my mind, or it's particular to me. I mean, all the things that I'm listing here, even if, even if you can't relate to all of them, you probably relate to some of them. And, and all of us sitting here can relate to them in one way or another. It's why. It's because we're experiencing what's called, you know, conditioned mind. It's the nature of conditioned mind. Mm-hmm. It, it clouds or, or hides uh, awakened mind. It, it hides the luminosity of an open heart and mind. And it's paradoxical because then you say, okay, like how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of it? If it hides that, how do we get rid of it? So we go into our projects of trying to get rid of it. But a lot of times we just don't want to feel it because we think it's us. We think it's somehow some, some, some measure of who we are as a person or some, as I said, some moral fa- failure. What if it's just 
conditioned mind? What if it's just a state of mind that's actually begging, really begging to be known, to be met, just to be met? The other mistake we make is that we, we can believe in permanency. Believe that that, you know, it's something to get rid of because it's stuck there and it's permanent. Really? Is anything permanent? Isn't that the great delusion right there? If you really start to, really start to look in your mind, you start to get a little, a little perspective on what we're talking about here, you really see how things are like, boom, coming and going, coming and going. And we forget that. We forget, we think it's permanent. So if it's permanent and it's problematic, we have to get rid of it, we have to make a plan, go into action. So that misguided way of that there's there's a self uh, that needs to be propped up or uh, perfected, you know, that things are permanent when they're not. And the other one is that we shouldn't suffer. And there, there we are back to the Buddha's original teachings. I teach one thing, one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. You know, it's, it's impossible to go through a life without pain and sorrow. It's part of the nature of being human. The 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows. But the Buddha did talk about there's some unnecessary suffering. And that's where we don't see. We don't see clearly. We don't see, oh, this is a version in the mind. We say, ah, I'm angry. That's really good. (laughs) Or that's really bad. (laughs) Something to get rid of. You know, it's like, oh, anger is arising. It's interesting the languaging we use. I mean, if you're someone who's, say, I, I, I deal with a lot of chronic anxiety or chronic depression, you know, it's not to say to you, well, you're lying, you know, but it, it's, 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 it's rather than, you know, I'm depressed. I'm a depressed person. I'm an anxious person. Notice the quality. So different than, oh, this mind, this mind heart you know, deals with this. It's, it's, it's something I work with. You know, it's just, just like, you know, you might have, you know, pain in your knee, you know, or maybe a physical chronic illness. You know, something, how, how can I relate to this? How can I relate to this state without, you know, over-identifying? But the over-identification can bring up shame. It can also bring up kind of like, I got it, you know. The Buddha talked about conceit as one of the fetters of mind and said it didn't, you know, it's one, it doesn't, takes a while for it to uh, unhook. The interesting thing that he said about conceit was it's not like in our Western understanding where conceit is I'm better than. He also described, described conceit as, I'm worse than. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as. I'm better. And I'm equal to. He also said that's a form of conceit. What did he mean by that? Because it involves a sense of comparing mind, a sense of separation. 
So some of the ways that we might work with what's happening in our practice directly around these these, uh, three roots of suffering, greed, hatred, and delusion, if you've been hearing it all day, is actually to notice it. To really, you know, as as you settle down, as your mind gets more settled, and that will take time, you know, it, it, it need, we need some patience. Patience helps. Perseverance helps. You know, noticing when the energy is low, you know, sometimes that requires some rest. Sometimes it requires kind of, you know, maybe doing a, a brisker walk or standing. You know, Booker talked today about standing. That will really raise energy. So, you know, why do we do this? We do it to be a good yogi, to be a good person? Well, that's not going to get very far because you're going to measure how good you are. But if you do, it's like, ah, this this can help, you know, wake up the mind. I want to understand. I want to understand the roots of suffering and the eradication of suffering. I want that. That, We might call that as like a healthy wanting, you know, wholesome wanting. And it does, it does take some effort. So let's say we, we're practicing, you know, we notice that wanting mind. Again, perfect opportunity because there's not the, necessarily the, the immediate grab for it. You know, that immediate grab. Well, another time on retreat, I just found myself really in a mission to have like sort of the perfect, you know, sitting situation and... Uh, oh, I just kind of also really wanted to be in the sun a lot, and so I would just always go outside and sit in the sun. There's nothing wrong with it, and it was it was pleasant. But after a while, I realized it was kind of like dukkha. It was kind of suffering because because I had it in my mind that that was the, that was the place to be, and so I kept trying to kind of get that. Similar to the other, you know, the other story I told you, you know, and you can equally find yourself in the other direction that you, you ward off what's unpleasant. You, tr- you try to get away from it. There's a lot of effort that can go into that. We, we can end up with, with a headache or feeling, you know, despair even. So what happens if we just turn towards and notice? What's the drive there? What's the drive? Is it that wanting mind? You know, I need this. I want this. I have to have it. You know, or is it that I don't want? This, this doesn't feel good. It shouldn't be here. I have to get rid of it. A lot of energy can go into identifying with the wanting mind, identifying with the, the not wanting. But when we just see that's what's happening, that's a moment of liberation. That's a moment of awakening because we're not caught in it. We don't have to follow it. We can just see it as wanting, wanting. Sometimes the wanting can be so strong. Remember, I just would just imagine like howling, you know, in my walking practice. Just just kind of like that, you know, the wanting of, uh, you hear the coyotes here sometimes. It's amazing. You just hear like the whole crowd of them howling together. It's very powerful. It's like that wanting. Or, or just, you know, when you just really not liking something, just, just, you can just put a label on it. Like you can just name it like a hating it, hating it. Sometimes even um, exaggerating it in your mind, meaning, th- meaning the, the identification of it, like hating is happening. It helps. It kind of helps bring in a sense of compassion or clarity even. Oh, this is what's happening. This isn't, 
it's not really that personal, quite honestly. I mean, it's personal, we feel it, but, you know, it's happening in all of our minds. It's like, like the monkey mind. So when, what starts to happen with practice, with this mindfulness practice, is that we start to actually settle a little. We start to get less agitated by those states of wanting and not wanting. Or, you know, I'm saying a lot about not wanting and wanting, also those states of just confusion, you know, just not knowing. And, and sometimes, it, you, you know, they, they, can be, they can be humorous. I mean, another time I was on retreat, and I, this was a time before the, before the message was don't put notes up on the bulletin boards a lot of many years ago. Uh, so, you know, sometimes people would leave notes, and somebody had left a note to their lover, it looked like, and it's like, Scorf, which I thought was an interesting name, Scorf, won't you please come home to me? And I read it, and I just, oh, my heart just, just was breaking for that person, like, wow, in the middle of a retreat, is trying to reconnect with their loved one, and, you know, just, oh, just really feeling that. And then another time I looked at it, and it was like, Scarf, and someone had lost their scarf. <laughs> well, that's funny. <laughs> or another time I was just sure that somebody um, had taken my boots. I mean, this went on for days. You know, like, wow, like, how could they have taken my boots? These aren't my boots. You know, they look like my boots, but they're not my boots. Someone took my boots. You know, like by the third day, it's like, oh, these are my boots. <laughs> you know, our minds can just like, really wig out (laughs) Um, but that's an example of delusion you know it happens all the time The other thing I want to say is, you know, what makes sense in the instructions. I, I, uh, last retreat I taught, (laughs) somebody, maybe some of you are feeling this way, someone came to a group interview and said, you know, there's these instructions and there's those instructions and one person, one teacher says this and the other teacher says the exact opposite. Like, what are we supposed to do? And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it came up today with the different answers and, and Chaz spoke to that. You know, it's, it's helpful to actually listen to what feels useful. And if something confuses you, perhaps maybe just let it aside or wait till you have an opportunity in a group or a meeting with a teacher to ask about it, or like we did in the, in the interviews today. So it's, it's really okay to trust you here, you know, because there's so many offerings of instruction, like what's helpful to you? You know, what's helpful to you? Maybe just simply, oh, Standing meditation, that was why I'd never really heard of that before, never really tried it, and you found it really helpful to you. You know, just, well, you want to practice with that for a little bit. No. One of the lists that that mindfulness is part of is the the seven factors of enlightenment. And I, I love that list because... When you actually look at different parts of the list, you realize like, oh, I'm practicing that. You know, that's a factor of enlightenment. So mindfulness, mindful awareness is a, pract- is a factor of enlightenment. Investigation. So just investigation or interest, just being interested in what's happening. This is the Buddha talked about this. This is a factor of enlightenment. This is a quality we want to cultivate. 
And it also takes some energy. So we want to call up some energy for our practice. You know, first day, that, you know, you can, you're probably pretty tired at this point. But you'll, you'll notice that with continued application, so to speak, just bringing yourself back again and again, as you're doing, sitting, walking, doing the best you can with it, noticing the doubting mind around it's not good enough, or it's great, it's really great, I'm doing really fine. You know what happens with that? <laughs> you know, then what happens when it doesn't feel so fine? You know, uh, I, I screwed up. It's like we lose sense of things come and go. Things come and go. Life comes and goes. There's the joy, there's the sorrow. There's boredom, there's depression. There's joy, there's energy, there's praise and blame. Loss and gain. Pleasure and pain. Fame and disrepute. These are the vicissitudes of being a human being. Unavoidable. How can we be with them? You know, in these seven factors of enlightenment, they, they lead to, and they interweave with each other, they lead to equanimity. They lead to this true capacity to be with life as it is, which isn't about passivity, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that as the retreat goes on, but just the capacity to be present, the capacity to fully be with what's wanted or not wanted. And as that strengthens, it gives enormous energy in our lives. There's enormous capacity to be with this, you know, this, this world. Now, there's a lot of suffering in our world. So to close, I'd like to, um, <clears throat> I'd like to read a couple of quotes from a, uh, Jesuit priest, some of you may be familiar with Anthony DeMello. He's he's no longer alive. He's some beautiful things that um, he's he's said. Hmm. He said. I'm going to write a book someday, and the title will be I'm an Ass, You're an Ass. That's the most liberating, wonderful thing in the world when you openly admit you're an ass. It's wonderful. When people tell me, you're wrong, I say, what can you expect of an ass? (laughs) When someone asked him, what is the secret of your serenity? He said, wholehearted cooperation with the inevitable wholehearted cooperation with the inevitable. He says, happiness is our natural state. Happiness is the natural state of little children to whom the kingdom belongs until they have been polluted and contaminated by the stupidity of society and culture. To acquire happiness, you don't have to do anything because happiness cannot be acquired. Does anybody know why? Because we have it already. How can you acquire what you already have? Then why don't you experience it? Because you've got to drop something. You've got to drop illusions. 
You don't have to add anything in order to be happy. You've got to drop something. Can one be fully human without experiencing tragedy? He says the only tragedy there is in the world is ignorance. All evil comes from that. The only tragedy there is in the world is unwakefulness and unawareness. From them comes fear, and from fear comes everything else. So I I think about practice. I think about, I've been thinking about it a lot today as I was getting ready to speak to you and taking a walk outside and thinking of all of us here together and just reflecting on um, life in 2018, uh, life here in this world and how much suffering there really is. I was thinking, wow, you know, what does it mean to, to take five days of one's life and and commit to to looking at the mind and heart. You know, is that is that worthy? Then you know, t- to me, the the answer is a resounding yes. You know, it, it it. My teacher Michelle once said someone was talking about the war in Iraq. I think the second second war when it was started in two thousand three, and I remember her saying like, we have to pay attention to the war in in Iraq, in ourselves, inside ourselves, you know? So she wasn't saying anything about not doing, not taking action. This is where people can misunderstand, I think, uh, Buddhist teaching. It's, it's uh, personally, it's the opposite for me. Like the more, the more I take time to practice, particularly in intensive practice, the more capacity there is to actually be in life and relate in the world, even even in difficult circumstances. You know, and we do have to know when to reach out and when to come in. You know, and you'll you'll even find that in your own as your as your days unfold here. Sometimes energy will be low. Can you allow for that? You know, do you, you don't have to make a moral issue of it. It's like, oh, low energy, tired. Hmm. It's like that. It's like this. Oh, well. Compassion, connectedness. Wow, feel connected with everybody. Mm, it's like that. Mm, can't stand everybody. Get me out of here. Call me a taxi. You know, it's like that. Give me my cell phone. The one that plays music all the time. <laughs> mm. Close with a uh, few lines of a poem that a poet named Teddy Macker wrote for his daughter. I'm just going to read just a few parts of it. It seems we have made pain some kind of mistake, like having it is somehow wrong. Don't let them fool you. Pain is a part of things. But remember, dear Ellie, the compost down in the field, if the rank and dank and dark are handled well, not merely discarded, but turned and known and honored. They one day come to be beds of rich earth, home even to the moist, delicate rose. God comes to you disguised as your life, 
Blessings often arrive as trouble. The Navajo people, it is said, intentionally wove, intentionally, obvious flaws into their sacred quilts. Why? It is there, they say, in the mistake, in the imperfection, through which the Great Spirit moves. Life is easy, yes, and life is hard. Life is simple, yes, and life is complex. We are tough, yes, but we are also fragile. Everything's eternally perfect, but help out if you can. Work on becoming a native of mind, a native of heart. No thought, no feeling could ever be bad. It's just another creature in the bestiary of Buddha, the bestiary of Christ. Knowing this, knowing this down to the marrow could save you, dear one. Much needless strife. In general, be wary, even if just a little, of talk of purity, of goodness, of light. To love everything, not just parts. To love all of yourself, not just certain traits. To rest in not knowing. To carry the cross and to lay your burden down. To savor the medicine blue of moon, the fierce sugar of tangerine. The imperfect is our paradise. All is grace. So may you open to the imperfect and see the divine, beautiful grace in that. Thank you. Now let's just take a couple of minutes to sit quietly and then we'll move to a walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.